You want a better running shoe? You got to check out the Let'sRun.com Better Running Shoe site, where we combine data science and running shoe reviews from the most dedicated runners on the planet. That's you. Let's Run Visitor Schly is 14. He actually checked out the number one rated shoe on here. The Asics Superblast. Asics is paying us nothing for this. But Schleis14, trusted reviews, bought the shoe, and here's what he says. This is probably the best overall daily trainer I've ever run in. I typically don't run in Asics, but given the outstanding reviews and LRC Better Shoes, I decided to give them a try. They are worth every penny and effortlessly take 15 seconds off each mile. He continues on. The last shoe I felt this strongly about and coincidentally selected because of overwhelmingly positive reviews on the old LRC shoe review site was the Adidas Boston 8. While a completely different type of shoe, it brings back the same joy and effortless propulsion I fondly recall from that old Boston. Good job, Asics. Good job, LRC Better Shoes. So find a better shoe. The number one shoe may not be for you, but you can find the most durable shoe, the most comfortable shoe. You can see how your shoe compares to other shoes. Let's run.com slash shoes or betterrunningshoes.com. Welcome to the Let's Run.com Track Talk Podcast. It was a huge week off the track as American record holder at 3,000, 5,000, and 10,000 meters, Grant Fisher has walked away from Jerry Schumacher and the Bowerman Track Club in his prime. We also had a major development in the Ingebrigtsen saga with brothers Henrik, Jakob, and Philip penning a column in the Norwegian paper VG alleging physical violence and threats as part of their upbringing. In Spain, we saw more crazy times on the roads of Valencia as Olympic champion Salomon Borrega ran 57.50 at the Valencia half and finished fourth. Plus, we had the Spanish and Portuguese national records in the half marathon, both of which are now faster than Ryan Hall's American record 59.43. The Road to Paris rankings are finally live. We've been asking for it for months. They're online. How the American Marathon is looking right now. We'll break that down. Plus, we've got NCAA conference action this weekend in cross country, including the HEPs in Boston in 79 degree weather. Struggling to make sense of that one. Plenty to discuss this week. This is Jonathan Gold. I am joined by Robert and Weldon Johnson. Weldon, who is riding high. His Texas Rangers are off to the World Series for the first time in 12 years, seeking their first title. And Robert, who is also in a good mood this morning. Pretty much every time I hear that intro music to the podcast, I get pumped up, feel part of something big. I always want to thank Andrew Brick Johnson for designing that music for us, but particularly today because I'm excited that he's joined me in the Over 40 Club. We're basically the same age. Happy birthday, Andrew. And we're going to unveil a new segment today, the Wags of the Fast and Famous. Andrew Brick Johnson's wife, Kate Codette, will be on at the end of the show for a special interview to tell us how great our composer is. Cool segment. Thank you, Andrew, again. Kate was great. Not only do we get her thoughts about Andrew composing music for us for free when he also works for the great Hans Zimmer, but we get the story of their engagement when 
Andrew left his engagement ring in an unlocked car in L.A., and it was stolen. But it's got a happy ending. We probably should play like a warning before the interview, though. You know, like when you see graphic content on YouTube, they're like, warning may not be appropriate for everybody. If you're single or if you're in a relationship but not in a super happy relationship, the interview may be a little bit depressing because Kate is winning wife of the year. Like to think about what does my husband love? How can I get celebrate his happy birthday? And then to contact us, very thoughtful. Wife of the year. Don't tell my wife. John, things are going really well for me. I don't think I told you guys. I went to the armory last Thursday. Excuse me. The Nike track and field center at the armory. They gave me some Nike shoes. <laughs> That's a joke, but that is the name of it. I took the shoes, John. They had a media day there. And they were essentially showing us Various aspects of the facility. We had someone teach a shot put. I threw the shot about 20 feet. Like a four-pound shot or something, John. It wasn't the... Oh, okay. I was like, 20 feet? That's not terrible I for... Uh... Either like 2.6 or 3.6. I, I was one of the few to clear the bar. We did fencing? Is that part of track and field? No, but they. I guess they have fencing at part of the year. I did some yoga. I mean, and it was... It was I was fencing a woman. So I didn't know if, you know, am I going to stab her? Gender norms, I, you know, some difficult situations here. And then at the end, there was a 60 meter dash. And they're like, no, you guys are racing. Go all out to the end. We're timing you. And I'm like, oh, my God. So I, I was lined up there versus the person from like Live Strong, Tom's Guide, the NBC local affiliate. Wait, I want to play a game here and guess your time. Do you have do you have an official FAT time here, Weldon? Oh, I celebrated a little early. I wasn't sure about that. Should I be taunting? But do do you know your time? Will you I don't give know it a the time? time? I could probably contact them because they did fully automatically time it. Oh, okay. Because I, I was gonna say something about eight three or something like that. But is that is that fair? Somewhere in the eight second range, or is, is even that generous? Don't let him lie, John. When I talked to him on the phone, I think he said 9.8. I thought, I think it might have been over nine seconds. I let up before the line. I was racing. I was not wearing the, I was wearing my Timu shoes and wearing, you know, I sandbagged it. I was wearing uh, some sort of casual pants, not technically workout pants. So I had a good excuse if, if I lost, but I took it down. It's equivalent to about a 15 second hundred i'm back baby the full-fledged comeback is not underway we need to arrange a race spring of 2024 noah lyles over 100 meters against weldon over 60 i think it would be good and then last night john i had this crazy dream the texas rangers made the world series they're playing the houston astros I mean, the rangers they can't beat the astros Weird. I had that same dream. Well done. Garcia got beaned, hit five homers. They had some guy who wanted to be a dentist getting hits. Yard and Goose was playing for the Texas Rangers? Wow, the Yard and Goose of running. I never thought of that. Of baseball. I never thought of that. Yes, that's the key, I guess. So if you guys want to be good at sports, consider dentistry. 
it's kind of depressing because employee 1.0 once said Robert and Weldon are exactly the same, but Weldon's just a little bit better than Robert at everything. <laughs> this was the year that Baltimore, the team that lost 100, 100 games two years ago, was supposed to be in the damn World Series. We had the best record in all of the American League, and yet somehow Weldon has surpassed it. But let's talk about running on the message board, I think late Thursday night, Clicked on a thread right before I went to bed, and then someone said that Gert, I mean, excuse me, that uh, Grant Fisher had left the Bowerman Track Club. Wasn't sure if it was true. Someone also said that he was headed to Baltimore to be coached by me and, and start running the steeplechase. So Grant, I have he has not showed up here, John. For the record, I've not heard from him. Grant, maybe you don't have my number. 844 Let's Run, 844-538-7786. We want to hear from Grant. We want to hear from you. But is that where we should lead off, John, talking about this Bowerman Track Club development? Of course. It's the biggest story in the running world the last week and we well, no, tell no, no, you guys no. this every week if you you know you think the Gjord, the, the Ingebrigtsen thing's bigger oh yes much bigger worldwide uh, Do you I think don't know and that, the, come I on I disagree the Ingebrigtsen thing there was rumors were already out there I mean what else what did we, we did we learn all that much we learned a little bit the, the Fisher thing especially for Let's Run.com's audience I know we're obsessed with the Ingebrigtsen's but Grant Fisher leaving Bauman that to me is the bigger news for Let's Run's audience, definitely. But worldwide, Grant Fisher's a minnow and a big C. Like, do we even know Solomon Borrego's coaches, the Olympic champion? If he switched coaches, we wouldn't be talking about it for 45 minutes times two. Okay. But as Robert alluded to, we say this every week, guys. We love our listeners. If you love us, you're going to want to subscribe to the Let's Run.com Supporters Club because that's what you get the Friday 15. That's our bonus podcast. We say it's 15 minutes. It's really an hour. We do it every week. And it was perfectly timed this week because Fisher announced he was leaving Bowman on Thursday night. We were fr- we recorded Friday morning. So you had your our thoughts, our fresh reaction in your podcast feeds by Friday afternoon. So I don't want to totally repeat ourselves, but this is a huge story that does demand some discussion and let's run.com slash subscribe. That's where you can join the supporters club, by the way. I mean, Robert, the thing that still, still amazes me is just, this is America's poster child, golden boy distance runner, him and Yara Nagus, the two best distance runners in the United States. He's in his absolute prime going into the prime Olympics of his career. He'll be 27 years old next year. And he has decided to walk away from Jerry Schumacher and the Bowman Track Club, a team with which he's had quite a lot of success. He's not won major medals. He's only, quote-unquote, won one U.S. title. But he set American records in the 3,000 twice, the 5,000 indoors and out, and the 10,000 meters. He's one of the few Americans who can show up in a diamond league and you know he's going to be competitive. You know, top three, I'm talking. And he's gone. He's out. And we don't know where he's going now, but that will probably come into focus this next month. I, it just, my whole reaction was, I can't believe he's leaving his prime. And wow, that's got to be a blow to Jerry Schumacher and the Bowman Track Club that one of your stars has decided you are not the man to guide him for the rest of his career. There's no denying that it's shocking that this is happening right now. Although, if you read my written version of my weekly recap, the week that was, I just published an article and I, and I started off by saying, instead of asking what's wrong with the Bowerman Track Club, 
can we talk about what's right? I mean, the improvement that he made under Bowerman was phenomenal from 742 to 725 in the 3K, from 1329 to 1246, and from 2908 in cross country to 2633. Huge improvement. I'm not saying Grant that Jerry made Grant. Grant is a big talent, but, you know, as I said in, in this article, in high school, no one. If I told you four years ago, oh, this guy's going to have the American records of 3,000, 5,000, and 10,000, you would have been like, really? Like, this was not a foregone conclusion that he was going to be a big star as a pro. Remember, in high school, he ended his career by losing the two-mile to Drew Hunter. I mean, Grant was great in high school. He broke four, ran 843 in the two-mile. But he loses to Drew Hunter at the end. And then his senior year of college, he was – Owned by Morgan McDonald. Morgan McDonald, Wisconsin, won the 3K indoors, 5K outdoors, cross country. And okay, yet those guys haven't even th- those guys haven't even broken 1313 as professionals. Right. Grant has now run 1246. But so, Robert, you're saying he lost to Drew Hunter in his final race as high school? Grant Fisher was one of the most decorated high school athletes ever. One of the biggest high school prospects ever to come out in the United States. Two-time footlocker champion and sub four miler. I mean, you can say, oh, he wasn't destined to be an all-time pro, but if you were to say, like, who is the most likely guy to break these American records, he probably would have been very, like, number one on your list coming out of high school in 2015. Very few athletes ever had a career like him in high school. I'm not denying that. He was a massive talent, but it was dimmed a little bit. I mean, college, he was good. Won NCAA title, three times top five in cross country, but now he's great again. Yes. And what's shocking is that as great as he's been as a pro, he's like, you know what? Uh, you know, even if he was unhappy with the move to Eugene, which seems like is a lot, almost everyone on the team is unhappy about the move to Eugene because not just about the move, but also the way it went down. I think there, there's two different aspects to that. But you think, oh, he might just wait another year to get through the Olympics, you know, and then say, you know what, screw it. I've been in the Olympics. I've got a medal. I don't want to live in Eugene anymore. I'm going to go out to Park City and train myself. But this is going all in on yourself heading into the Olympic year. So I keep going back and forth because in this column, I was like, well, if he really feels like something's missing, this would be the time to do it because this is going to be his peak Olympics. But how can he say there's anything missing in his training? I mean, he's just been... I guess the one U.S. title is pretty pathetic given how fast he is, but but he could. It's still he could, wild. I keep going back and forth and playing both sides of this argument. Really, yeah, honest. because you know I don't think anyone would have faulted him for staying with Jerry. No one would look at Grant Fisher's results the last couple of years and say, "Oh man, he could be so much better." Like he was getting beat by really, really good guys at the global championships this year. He was injured. Uh, which Grant, you know, maybe that some of that's on Jerry, but also I think Grant kind of admitted he was pushing his mileage and kind of pushing the envelope there. That's kind of what you do when you're part of Bowman is you're always pushing the limits. Any pro running group is going to be doing that. It's kind of seeing how far they can go, how much they can improve by adding mileage, and he kind of found his limit. So, yeah, it's it's just... That's what makes it so interesting is his results have lined up, but... Also, he'd been in Bowman for three years, and then he saw what it was like being based in Eugene last year. And even though his results were still, well, 
his results at the end of the season, once he was healthy again, were really good. He might have said, hey, I don't like being in Eugene, or I don't like that we... I mean, they still go to altitude, but maybe he wanted to go there more. But he might have seen like, hey, this is different. This isn't exactly what I wanted compared to the previous two years. I can do better on my own or with with a different setup. I mean, he clearly would have seen the differences, and I'm guessing it was that move to Eugene and the differences with the club being there and Jerry now coaching Oregon that were what caused him to to move, though he hasn't said that yet publicly. I really want to know who's going to coach him next year. And Robert, your article did do a good job of showing how far he's come. His pro career could have been like Drew Hunter or something like that. I would probably argue when he turned pro, he was at a better level then than Drew Hunter, but there's some you know talented high schoolers who aren't that great as pros. But with a couple of days to reflect on it, I'm excited again that he's doing this. I think it helps that he's already made the Olympics. I think if he hadn't made an Olympic team, he stays one more with Jerry. But now he's like, I've already made the Olympics. I'm going for the home run. Let's change it up. Let's try to get this over the finish line. Or he's just willing to take more of a chance. And, and John, as you said, maybe it could be something he just... And Eugene, if you're not on the University of Oregon, you were second fiddle. The facilities are not there for you at the first use. If you're the Nike campus, you're, you're, you're the king of the place. No one's kicking you out of anything. In Eugene, I assume the athletes have first priority in everything. There's probably certain times you can work out. Certain times you can use... The student athletes, you mean the Oregon athletes? Yeah. Have priority. Yeah. yeah. The Bowerman Track Club is like... They might as well be the Oregon Track Club. You know? Which I don't even think uses Hayward Field a lot of the time. So... Yeah, it's my understanding that's true. Like, in the sense of... It's a little bit different in the sense of... like. People are disillusioned both about the move to Eugene, but also, and playing second fiddle to the or- University of Oregon. And then ha- third would be ha- how it all went down without any notice. I mean, Grant found out about this. Jerry Schumacher was trying to keep this quiet until after Worlds in 2022, which makes sense. He's going to distract the athletes. But then the University of Oregon was checking you know, make sure they could hire Jerry Schumacher, nothing hiding his clauses during reference checks. Someone from the University of Oregon called Grant Fisher and said, yeah, we're doing a background check for the University of Oregon track job. And apparently Grant thought it was going to be like for Chris Miltenberg, his old coach at Stanford. He said, oh, maybe Milt's interest in the Oregon job? They're like, no, it's Jerry Schumacher. He was like stunned. So a lot of the athletes are like, basically the move, Jerry Schumacher's move from Portland to Oregon, who did it benefit? Jerry. It benefited Jerry Schumacher, one. University of Oregon, two. Phil Knight, three. It certainly didn't benefit these 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 track athletes. If you're young, I mean, I I, I lived in a college town as a thirty year old. It's hard to live in a college town as a thirty year old. You know, after college, you'd much rather live in Portland than Eugene. Let's be honest about that. Most people, and then your coach now has instead of going to practice every day and you feeling what you're doing is the most important thing in the world. And my coach is all in on that. He's now all in on another job. I mean, I guess, you know, Elon Musk can do two or three jobs amazingly well at the same time, but most people can't. So then you're, you're, you're there and you're on campus and 
maybe you can't use the track. You know, they have to work out whenever, whenever the Oregon practice is most convenient for Oregon, they're going to practice. And then BTC is probably going to practice around that. And imagine about the facilities. Like if you're in the hot tub and some random walk-on sprinter comes in there or freshman sprinter you never heard of, needs to get in the hot tub. Does the training staff kick you out? I mean, I'm not sure if he's being, maybe, maybe that's, I'm not sure he's leaving the Bowman Track Club because he can't get, he's getting kicked out of the hot tub. But the larger point, I, he feeds into it. I can understand that. And when I think about this more, I'm like, couldn't they have just kept the pros in Portland? Like, I know Jerry wanted a new challenge. Phil Knight wants Oregon to be great again. But, like, when these guys are in Park City, they're driving like an hour to workouts and stuff. So they're used to driving. It's only an hour and a half from Portland down to Eugene. Maybe a little bit longer. And let the pros stay in Portland. Once a week, they commute down to Eugene and work out in front of Jerry. And once a week, he commutes up down up to Portland when they're not at altitude. Now, the altitude's a, a different story. Maybe he can't get there quite as much as he used to. But Jerry never spent the whole tri- altitude trips. He would fly in for the workouts kind of like Pete Julian does. I think that would have been a better thing. But I'm wondering if, if Jerry really wanted the pros to elevate the Oregon program. Like, you can tell the recruits, oh, look, all the, the pros are here. Look how serious they are. They get to learn watch them, too. And, how focused on the task they are and how professional they are. But again, that's all benefiting Oregon and Jerry. It's not benefiting the pros. I have the perfect solution, or I had the perfect solution. Why didn't Phil Knight have a chopper? He's got the money. A chopper could have just taken the whole team, dropped him in Oregon, taken him back to Portland. As rich as Phil Knight is, I assume flying to Eugene doesn't save you much time, but a chopper really would. People used to do that around here. They'd chopper into New York City. I think it got outlawed locally or something, but couldn't a chopper take off from the Nike headquarters and drop down to the University of Oregon? Make it happen. How much time is that? Is that saving? How much time is that saving? Is it, do choppers go like 120 miles an hour? I didn't think they were that fast. Well, then. I feel like choppers are most convenient in New York or something like that because you're cutting out all the traffic, but... Portland to Eugene, it's pretty much just highway. That said, can you imagine the memes if Bowman Track Club just started using a helicopter to go back and forth between Portland and Eugene? I mean, the Let's Run message board would have a field day. John, you're showing you're showing something well, here. Most choppers fly between 75 and 150 miles an hour. So at 150, you'd be saving some time, obviously. Yeah, definitely. And also, I mean, I'm, I'm not some liberal super elite who has access to a chopper. All I know about choppers is from watching Succession. That's a good point. You're not really saving much on traffic. Also, choppers help you a lot Like if you're not driving in a straight line. Like the crow's nest, straight line is much faster. But I think it's a straight line from Eugene to Portland, due south, yeah. right? And the, the environmental criticism they would get, right? Well, I mean, what if that comes out, Grant Fisher? I would have stayed at the Bowman Track Club if they had just given us access to a chopper to go from Portland to Eugene. <laughs> like, would, now we're just well, going crazy here. I, I got to tell a story along those lines. I, I heard there was, I, I guess there's no reason to say his name, so I won't say it. There, there was a college coach who's currently head coach somewhere else. And the Princeton coach, Fred Samara, retired after like 50 years at Princeton. And they're interviewing this guy and they're like, we, we want you to be the new coach. You're a lot like Fred. You're a former multi-athlete. I'm giving a little hint who it is, but not saying the name. He's like, nah, I'm pretty happy where I am. But I'll take the job under one condition. They're like, okay, what is that? They're like, both my sons get into Princeton. They're like, uh, no thanks. So at least he tried, right? I mean, I, I, 
I'd probably ask for, well, would I ask for the same thing? Now you get canceled for all this favoritism and nepotism these days. But uh, I mean, you, yeah, it's a great school. Obviously, I can, I can understand why you'd want to ask that. This segment has been brought to you by Boeing, home of the CH-47 Chinook helicopter. Cruising, with a cruising speed of 184 miles an hour, maximum speed of 196, it is the go-to helicopter of the American and British militaries and the Bowerman Track Club. Okay, let's talk about the future of Bowerman here because Fisher is gone. It's strongly rumored, kind of an open secret, seems to be that Cooper is going to leave and reunite with Ben Thomas, so that hasn't been confirmed yet. Likewise, Elise Cranny, strong rumors that she will be leaving, but that hasn't been confirmed either. Hey, well, real quick, why... It's interesting to me why it's such a bigger deal when Bowerman, when Fisher left to me, than these other athletes recently. I mean, you know, I, as I point out my week, there was a lot of athletes left in 2021 before they even moved to Eugene, like Quigley and Kate Grace, and et cetera. But these are athletes in their prime leaving. But at least Cranny's won way more U.S. titles than Grant Fisher. But Grant Fisher seems like a bigger deal. Is that because we're, we're sexist and more into men's running? Or just because Fisher's more competitive on the global stage. Robert, are you intentionally being obtuse here or are you just playing devil's advocate? Like, Grant Fisher, clearly much better runner on the global stage than Elise Cranny. Elise Cranny could have an amazing career and never come close to sniffing a medal because American women just aren't as competitive in the 5K and 10K as the men, typically. I know Alicia Monson got fifth this year in the 10K, but Fisher's been fourth and fifth in his two 10k final appearances fisher also has more american records and they yeah they've both been phenoms since they were young but i think it's pretty obvious Grant fisher has more american records he's more competitive on the diamond league and global championship circuit that's why but like when olympic champion matthew centro left too it wasn't as big of a deal i guess he, wasn't he was past prime. his prime like yeah. centro didn't race at all in 2022 i don't even know exactly when he left i mean because he ran for Bowman, he made the Olympics in 2021, but didn't make the final, and then didn't race at all in 2022 due to injury. And then at some point in between then and reappearing in 2023, he left the team. So, yeah, we we haven't seen someone of Grant's stature in terms of massive name in his prime, or and globally competitive leaving like this. Gabrielle Debu Stafford, I say you could probably say in terms of like being competitive with the best in the world, she was the closest when she left last but, year, but she's Canadian, not as big a name as Grant Fisher. And the more I think about it, the biggest difference with Grant is basically all of his success as the pros came as Bowerman. That wasn't true for Debu Stafford. That certainly wasn't true for Stamp for Centrus. I mean Centrus was winning medals under Andy Powell in college. Then he was winning gold under Salazar. And then you know he, he was switching coaches all the time, and what you know, his dad was coaching him for a while wasn't a big deal. But back to your point, John. Back to my point is like, what do we see for the future of this group? Because there has been an exodus of talent the last couple of years. One of the, the best women's runners, Shelby Houlihan, was banned two years ago. Woody Kincaid has left the team, and then immediately wins the U.S. 10K title. Grant Fish is gone now. Looks like Cranny and Tier are following him out the door. We do have some names left. Mohamed, Olympic and world medalist. 
Evan Jago, Olympic and world medalist. Granted, that was her pre-injury a number of years ago. Justin Knight just joined. NCAA cross-country champion Charles Hicks just joined. Carissa Schweizer just uh, is still there. Courtney Frerichs, Olympic silver medalist, world silver medalist, American record holder, is still there. Like, it's not like the cupboard is bare. Well, but- what about Shama Gordy, who made two teams this year, and Duncan Hamilton, who is pretty good. I mean, I guess the yeah, NCAA steeple runner-up. And I sure it doesn't really move the needle that much for me yet. But yeah, Sean McGordy made two US teams. Like, do you think they'll reload and once, you know, if Simeon Birnbaum is as good as we think he is, he'll just come out of college in a year or two and suddenly Bauman's on the upswing again? Or do you think this has sort of existential is this an existential threat that these names like Fisher leaving, if, if you've got American record holders leaving the team in their prime and U.S. champions leaving the team in their prime, is that a sign that people don't really want to be there as much anymore and this team's winding down? Well, yes, of course it's a sign they don't want to be there anymore, John. They're leaving. Yeah, So right. that's like a rhetorical But like, question. do you, it's, all right, let's say this time, four years from now, is the Bowman Track Club still a thing? Okay, I just paused a bit. I think so, but it really depends on what Jerry wants to do. They got to restock the cupboard. They can recover from this, but now athletes are seeing, wow, some stars are leaving. The aura of Jerry maybe isn't there, whatever it is. But the people who left were operating under one circumstances, set of circumstances. Those have completely changed. Now you recruit athletes from the get-go who are fresh. You bring them in. All they're only going to know is being in Eugene, this sort of stuff. I think they can do it. They have the resource, assuming Nike wants to back them and bring in top athletes. But it's like, what have we said about all of these groups? Oh, you know, On is doing better now. Hoka, the team has had a, you know, it's doing a little bit better. What have we always said it takes more than anything? Talent. Talent. They need to get grade A talent. So. I don't know. Maybe they thought well, Charles Hicks was that. I'm trying to think who is that now. I, I'm almost more excited about like Burnbaum than the next, maybe a couple years from now. Cause I'm not sure every year you have a guy who can be competitive on the world stage. Maybe you can. I mean, we're a pretty big country. So if you take the best people every year, train them like pros, train them smartly, maybe they, they can reach that level, but you need the best of the best. Nike's got the resources to make it happen. So it'll be interesting to see how this goes. The more I think about it, I don't think this group's winding down. I think it will exist. But I agree with Weldon. It kind of depends on what Jerry wants to do or maybe what Phil wants to do. But Phil, look, to me, my mind, the whole thing here is Phil's more interested in Oregon being great at cross country than Bowerman Tri Club. That's an afterthought to him. So if Jerry just wants to focus on Oregon, that's fine. But I think he's trying to actually use this club and the professionalism of it to help Oregon. And they've added some significant talent. We're talking about reloading. <laughs> it's all about having talent. Okay. They've signed Charles Hicks. Admittedly to me, I'm, I'm questioning whether he has the speed to be great at the track, but they've signed the NCAA cross-country champion and just tonight he's run 12.52. You put those two together with Mohamed, that would be a hell of a battle. Let's, let's, best 5K group in, in the world in America. Hell, maybe in the world, training together. 
But let's go have him go race Mike Smith, Nur, Grialva, and Kincaid. So I'm not writing him off. You get Kai Robinson. It seems like Jerry's go-to thing recently has been sign Stanford kids who like Weldon are focused on their academics and not running nearly as well as they should be. Move, put them in a professional training environment, have them train at the altitude, and see what happens. You get Kai Robinson and, and you get Birnbaum. Group will be doing just fine. Now, y'all talked about the helicopter. The thing I was thinking about from a serious note was drop $100,000 or whatever it costs. Might not even cost that much. Hell, oh my God. When this new Apple headset comes out, you just drop it on that. It's only like five grand. But couldn't they have like just like a super video conference or like a, 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 a track size 50-inch TV some sort of swirling thing. You hire a 24-year-old and he just films every practice live when they're in altitude and Jerry just, he's watching the practice at home in, his, in the Oregon offices. I think what you're suggesting here is some sort of Jerry Schumacher robot uh, that can move around the track, be remote controlled, see what's going on, tell people they look good. I think that's what it seems like you're advocating for, Robert, and I'm all for it. We do it. Let's run Supporters Call Plus. We, we get a drone. We train it to automatically follow them so we don't have to hire somebody to actually do it. And it films the practices for us. A drone for every athlete. And you can sponsor your own drone. I want to pay for the $5 for the, excuse me, $55 for the Charles Hicks drone today. Will it exist in 2028, John? Yes or no? Yeah, I think so. But it reminds me of Nathaniel Hawthorne from The Departed. Families are always rising and falling in America. And think about where we were this time four years ago. Nike Oregon Project, you know, all right, maybe four years and one month ago. Nike Oregon Project, riding high, Safan Hassan dominating the world, Donovan Brazier, world champion, Galen Rupp, Chicago Marathon champion, Prague Marathon champion. Now the Oregon Project doesn't exist. It's splintered off the Union Athletics Club, which was running kind of well, but now Donovan Brazier's hurt. Craig Engels left that team. Bauman Track Club was, you know, the premier group a few years ago. They're still, like you said, Robert, they're still really good, but have lo- have taken some key hits recently. Then the On Athletics Club, which was not even a thing three and a half years ago, which was just invented in the summer of 2020, and on said, hey, we saw an opportunity. We're going to just throw a ton of money at all the college kids coming out right now because all the other shoe companies, COVID's going on, they're tightening the purse strings. This is our chance to strike. And they hit it big uh, with a couple, you know, Klecker and Ollie Hoare have been good from that initial signing class. But then obviously Yari Nagoose turned into a big star. I actually thought this was very interesting on the Coffee Club podcast this week. Did you guys hear what Yari Nagus's reaction was to uh, the Grant Fisher news? Yes, I did. He said, well, I dodged a bullet on that one because he had been recruited by the Bowman Track Club. If you're an athletics club track member, I will give the same guarantee to you that I gave to Grant Fisher on the Friday 15. If you decide to leave Dathan Ritzenheim's coaching, and come here or be coached remotely by me. 
I promise you, I will coach you to at least the same number of global medals that you won under the great Dathan Ritzenheim. And I guarantee any Cornell cross-country runner that if you allow me to take over your program, I will win at least as many HEPs cross-country titles and bring you to at least as many NCAA cross-country championships as the great Robert Johnson did when he was in charge. So you're going to be coaching Bruce Hyde to one spot behind Ryan Hall in state nationals, John, is that right? What, what place American is that, Robert? Order. 27th on a muddy day. Yeah, no, no, I said the team. Team appearance. Oh, the team. Team titles. I was kind of more like the actually that, that's why I offered to coach these guys. I was like more more about I was more like Bowerman and OAC. I was more into the time trials than I was the actual championship performances. That was a joke, actually. We were warriors, heptagonal championships. All right, enough about me, John. Okay. Any other final thoughts on this Grand Fisher situation? It does, I mean, at some point he will address the media, whether it's you know, an interview sometime this week or next week or at some track meet next year, he's going to, we'll get more information about it from Grant. But any, any other final thoughts before we move on? John, I think about an hour and a half on this topic, which we've discussed probably the last five days might be sufficient. Yeah, but Bolton, this is pretty important. I mean, imagine if this was, imagine if running was quote unquote a real sport and like first take was talking about it. This would be like a week's worth of content on first take. Grant Fisher leaves Bauman. Who is he joining now? Why is he going? What's up with Jerry Schumacher? I mean, I guess the media cycle does work, run pretty quickly, but this is about, a ju- about as juicy content we get in late October. So yeah, I think an hour and a half is appropriate. Yep. It'd be like Andy Reid's upset that Kelsey's time is now divided between the, the Chiefs and, and Taylor Swift. So he's, he's out of there. He's going to go coach a new team. Did you guys hear, like, big rumor around here, Taylor Swift was two towns over in New Canaan at dinner. Like, the restaurant was swarmed. Turns out she was later spotted in L.A. that night. She she may not have been there, but, like, hundreds of people showed up. I feel like I'm getting more and more Taylor Swift updates than ever before. Like, I'll scroll through Instagram, and it's just, like, Taylor Swift account feeds now because, I don't know, they just know I'm a football fan, and I see her on these broadcasts. I mean, she does make some good music, but it's... I I didn't hear that one, and I've been inundated with Swift accounts uh, recently. Well done. You guys hear the big rumor about Taylor? Huge track fan. She's probably going to be at the Milrose Games. That's what we should just start saying. Oh, speaking of... Just start rumors about, uh, yeah. oh, Taylor might be... Like, hey, actually, that's interesting, right? Because they're like, oh, Taylor might be at the Jets-Chiefs game, and then suddenly tickets sell out. I mean, it's going to be a sellout anyway. The Chiefs playing in the Jets Sunday night football, that game's going to be sold out. But yeah, what if we do that? That's the new way to solve Haywood Field's Olympic attendance problems. We just start rumors saying, Taylor Swift might be at the Olympic trials. She might be showing up to NCAAs, and then we get an army of Swifties fl- flying across the country. Yeah, I'll I'll run out the garden. I'll bring back track to the garden. I'm a huge garden fan, but I tickets are on sale for the Milrose Games. I did notice that being at the at the uh, at the Armory. You know, they have like the little what's the thing like the electronic thing that circles the entire upper deck. Uh, video board. Video I, I don't board. know what you would but call it's not those. Like, you know, not the jumbo. Model. Yeah, no, it's like the ticker, right? Uh, yeah, something like they that. They were showing the athletes for last year's Milrose Games. It was like who's who, man. It was great. They yeah, they had Noah Lyles. Uh, well, the thing Mo didn't run, but 
Coleman. Initially was supposed to. Yard Nagus. I mean, Josh Kerr was in the 3K. Like, it was sort of like when you. Their list of people was even so much better after the fact than, you know, at the end of the year than even at the beginning. You're just like, oh, wow, they nailed it. They had Josh Kerr in the yeah. 3K. Nagus, you know, the time when probably when they announced Nagus is running in like December, you're like, okay, whatever. Milrose rocks. What do we think about it being on Super Bowl Sunday this year? All the action is going to wrap up beforehand. So I think it goes from like two to four and then the Super Bowl's six thirty. So unless you're actually going to Milrose, it doesn't really make that much of a difference. But you guys, is this good? We're capturing attention when people aren't really doing anything or is too much attention is going to be on the Super Bowl and it gets overlooked? It doesn't really not matter. This is the first I heard of that. Are you the only one who realized this, John? Or it's like people have been saying this on Twitter. I think there were one or two other people. I talked to Ray Flynn about it. I was like, why is this happening? He's just like, NBC wants it that way. Um, NBC, d- does NBC have the Super Bowl rights this year? There's no way. It's good alternative programming to football, so. No, see, the Super Bowl's on CBS this year. No, well, well, trust me, as soon as I saw this, like the Super Bowl, that's one of those dates where I'm like, <laughs> It used to be World Cross was going to be this weekend as well. And I'm like, how am I going to watch the Super Bowl at 3 a.m. in Croatia? Is this going to be an issue? And then they moved World Cross to March 30th in Serbia. So no longer a problem. Except for, I mean, Milrose now, same day. So wait, World Cross is now the end of March again? Yeah. That's a disaster time to have it. I heard they were going Why? to move it to December, which would make a lot more. It's too close to the track season. Everything should finish in in February, and then you can get ready for outdoor pee. But speaking of tickets, there was some developments in the UK last week. The UK Athletics had we should have him on the on the podcast. Fired their head coach. I've always thought the head coach of a track team is overrated. What do they really do except for maybe the relays? But I don't even know the guy's name. He was well well. Steve McGuire, he was apparently really liked by all the athletes, did, been, was doing a very good job, and he's out. People are kind of wondering why. He was clashing with the new CEO, apparently. But they have major financial problems at UK Athletics. And I wonder if there's any, I wonder if there's any Max Siegel defenders listening to us. See, Max was so good to get the Nike money. But I'm always, I was thinking about this. It came out in one of these articles that they lost over six figures on their – London Diamond League, even though they had 50,000 fans in attendance. Like, that shows you how you just need TV money to pay bills. Like, you'd think 50,000 people wouldn't, I mean, how many of those tickets were freebies? I'm wondering. Like, $20 a ticket, that would be a million dollars. I guess I can easily see how it could cost more than a million dollars to put that meat on. But they seem to, to me to be doing things right and they're losing money and then. I was wondering, like, what what is the UK Athletics Nike deal? How much do they get? I mean, how how, how big in how big is Britain, John, compared to the US? The UK is probably eighty million. The US is like three hundred and forty million, I think, off the top of my head. So if they're one fourth, one fifth, oh, sixty-seven million for the UK, three hundred thirty-one million for the US. So if they're one-fifth the size of the U.S., they're not getting that much money from Nike, right? They're only getting like $5 million a year. So Plus, 25. U.S. is the best track country. They always win the most medals at the Olympics, so they're going to also get more airtime and coverage and that sort of thing. So there's a bigger value there as well. 
But they have the lottery funding. Why doesn't the lottery funding just give a million or two to the UK athletics? To the Federation? Well, I mean, they kind of are. The Federation is just giving it to the athletes. I mean, kind of. I don't know. Wait, Rob, I'm surprised you haven't proposed your favorite solution of just saying, hey, wait, how much does Max Siegel give? Give $2 million of his salary to UK athletics and have them take save, take the money. That would be socialistic. It's for the meat losing money with 50,000 fans. Wow. Well, think about the other meats with not 50,000 fans. But I saw... You know, Michael Johnson tweeted out about that. And I, I wrote a response on the Let's Run Twitter saying, we applaud the attempt in vision. Now charge slightly more per seat. You charge five bucks more, they $250,000. Get one major spark, sponsor and a better TV partner that meets profitable. I like the vision. We need meets with 50,000 people. That's a step in the right direction. Sure, it sounds, oh, really horrible. You lost a couple hundred thousand dollars. But with 50,000 fans... You get a few more dollars from them. That's a, that's hundreds of thousands of dollars. You get sponsors. That can be hundreds of thousands of dollars. And obviously a TV partner. So I don't, what's the other option? Put on a, like a meet with no fans and you're not going to get any sponsorship for that. And your costs aren't that much less. So I hope that the, the, the new leadership at UK athletics, we you know we've criticized them for their, some of their team selection stuff. But I like the vision, aiming big, going on the biggest stage. Keep it up. I like that too. Yeah, London's a great sports city. They got a big turnout. It was a great meet. But what was that meet called? The London Athletics meet. It didn't have a title sponsor. For me, that big, you need a title sponsor. Otherwise, yeah, you're going to have these shortfalls. I'm sure they know that too. It's not like they weren't trying to do it. But that, that's a problem when you can't get a sponsor for a meet that size. I saw in Rich Perlman's the sports examiner newsletter. It's a, this is an amazing newsletter guys. You love this. If you're interested in like Olympic sports and the business side. It's great. I'll put a link in the show notes. It says NBC ad sales for Paris way ahead of Tokyo nearing 1 billion. So I'm hoping next year in the Olympic year, maybe this meet obviously in London, it'll be easier to secure sponsorships. These money, these, these companies just hear Olympics and throw like hundreds of millions of dollars in advertising. It might make more sense just direct, I don't know, half a million to this meet or I don't know, a quarter million to let's run. So email me. I'm serious. If you want to advertise on the platform for Olympic running, email podcast at let's run.com or Hey, if you're good at ad sales, you want to help out, bring me one Olympic sponsor. You can work one day a year. Go for it. All right, John, earlier in the show, you mentioned something about family dynasties rising and falling, some quote from something I haven't listened to or watched, but I loved it. The Departed? You never saw The Departed? Is that a movie? 2006 Best Picture winner, Leo DiCaprio, Martin Scorsese, Matt Damon, Jack Nicholson, one of the biggest movies of the 2000s. You never saw it? Is it R-rated, John? Yeah. It's great. Great film. Great Boston. It's like the most famous Boston film ever. If I did see it, I don't remember. I wasn't allowed to see those already movies until 2013. But can we talk about family Ingebrigtsen? I mean, John, it was just over two years ago. You and I were in the bowels of a spectatorless Tokyo Olympic Stadium. 
And you got Gert Ingebrigtsen, father, son, Jakob. I forgot how old he was at the time. 20 years old. Olympic 1500 meter champion. It was like a fairy tale. The guy that dreamed of learning about running, coaching his children to stardom. Coaches three of them to European champions, but one to Olympic gold. You snapped the photo. I mean, even then, we kind of knew it wasn't your standard coach-athlete relationship. Obviously, they're related to each other. But I asked Gert, you know, what was the strategy for Jakob? He's like, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't talk to Jakob about strategy. He won't listen to me. So, and we've seen it with husband-wife combos. It can be hard to, to mix the coaching and the and the and the family stuff. But this last week, it I don't know if turned dark is the right word. You know, we'd already known that they'd severed the coaching athlete, the father-son coaching relationship. We knew that the father wasn't involved in the wedding, but then the three brothers, Philip, Onrik, and, and Jakob, came out and said, you know, dad used violence, threats of violence in our upbringing. Two years ago, it resurfaced. We're, we, we have, we're fearful still. That was, I guess they were trying to push back. It was why Gert was upset that he's not getting accreditation at these meads. Right. They've tried to say all along, this is a private family matter. I think most reasonable people can accept that. They don't want people airing their dirty laundry in public. But the reason they said they made this statement to VG, the Norwegian newspaper, is other people are starting to get dragged into it. The Norwegian Athletics Federation is getting criticized not universally, but some people are critical, including Gert Ingebrigtsen, for not accrediting Gert, who is the coach of Narva Nordas, the world championship bronze medalist in the 1500. They're not giving him accreditation for major championships. Narva has been drawn into this because he's still being coached by Gert, even after the brothers left him. There was an incident at a training camp where Narva went to sit down, and then Henrik essentially you know, said, you can't sit with us. And they under, the brothers understand it's taking a toll on other people as well. It's take, I would say it's taking the biggest toll on them, but now they're seeing it's affecting other people's lives and people saying what the Federation is not blocking his accreditation. They're not really going into details beyond people speculating it was out of deference to the brothers. Now they're saying, well, actually, this is the reason why, because he was very controlling. They said, you know, Sounds like it's triggering for them to see him at meets and the threats of physical violence. They didn't provide any sort of details about that. It's unclear whether they gave the Federation more details than they've announced publicly. All of this, Gert has denied, by the way. He said he's, an, said he's not a perfect father, but he hasn't been violent. And his another son of his, Martin, has written a column in the same Norwegian paper saying he hadn't seen him be violent either. So yeah, it's it's created a mess. It's essentially it's, it's sad. It's come to this, you know. Uh, this is the real world, though. It's not fairy tales. Uh, things can get complicated. Things can get messy, and I just feel sad because what the brothers are alleging. It, I don't see why they make this stuff up. I mean, it seems pretty serious to me. It's unfortunate that it had to come out. It's unfortunate that this is the way the story has gone, but this is the real world, not a fairy tale. What do you guys think should be the solution going forward? Am I just published week that was? 
I said, I think the way things now are fine. This is what I would do if I was the Federation. You have three prominent athletes that don't want this guy around on the warm-up track or whatever. You have one go- one elite athlete in Nordas who would like to have their coach around. But Jakob's better than Norv, and three is greater than one. So I, I think it's an acceptable compromise not to accredit Norv. Norv, it's not like we're denying him the opportunity to coach. To me, that seems like a, a pretty good compromise. I can see people on both sides, if you're really passionate, both sides saying, this is, that's ridiculous. On the one hand, if you actually think like big time, like abuse and beatings happened, I can definitely see why you would think that's ridiculous. But we don't have those allegations. If you want a stricter punishment, um, to me, the brothers would have to be much more specific when they say aggression and physical punishment resurfaced two years ago. Right. They would have to go to either the authorities of the Federation and give a wider explanation about why that would be an appropriate punishment. I, I agree with you, Robert. I think this is a fairly, it's a good enough compromise. Like compromise is not an ideal. So I think the Ingebrigtsen brothers get a little bit more than they give in this situation because they, they don't want him accredited. He's not being credited, but we just saw Nordas medal in Budapest without his coach coaching them. It's not like, he can't, it's not like Gert can't fly to where these meets are and stay with, you know, Nava in a hotel together or that they can't talk strategy or he can't call him in between rounds. And as you pointed out in the week that was, this isn't a technical event like the pole vault where you can give advice from inside the stadium during attempts, in between attempts. It's the 1500, you know, you say the morning of the race, okay, this is the idea. And that, you know, in a major championship, it's not like you need the coach needs to be there to offer advice mid race. So, yeah, it's not an ideal situation, but the federation's in a tough spot. I feel for Nordas because he hasn't done anything wrong in this situation, and he's kind of being punished. But th- that's the point. I understand why the federation want to, wants to protect uh, three of its most valuable athletes. Protect one, its most valuable athlete, John. Because Nordos is better than the other two right now. Right. I mean, Henrik and Philip have done great things for Norway in the past, though. But yes, Nordos is better than either of them at the moment. Look, I can totally see why Jakob and the brothers don't want to be around their dad. But should they sort of get a heckler's veto to prevent him from doing his job? Now you could argue, okay, maybe some of these allegations happened when he was coaching so it is coaching related but I, there's just something about it i just don't like i don't like sort of i can see why it's happened i'm not totally opposed but i, I generally like more public justice systems i don't like someone you know I, maybe everything being handled on a case-by-case basis but wish there was a better solution i guess so what's your solution? Well, then you just think you should get credentials. Credentialing. Well, he can go to the meet anyway and buy a ticket and yell at, at, at what, what's the big difference? I mean, you coach, you would get access to the warm up area basically, and which is where you might interact with the brothers. So Jakob just what, like 
this guy, this guy's he's free to about to go about society, do his job, go anywhere else. And, and we're just saying you're too important. You're right. We're going to just, this guy can't be around you. Like, well, it's not like he's saying, I don't like this guy. He's saying he's been basically alleging a, a form of abuse in the past. I think we should ignore the abuse. I mean, not ignore it, but like, I kind of, in general theory, like, well, then, to me, for the most part, unless you're dealing with minors, unless you're alleging crime, the sports bodies, particularly track and field, which does not have the money to investigate these things, when, when baseball and football are all getting involved. Although a team doesn't have to hide, doesn't, you know, I would say stay out of it. If a team wants to hire, hire some bad dude, they can. They might face the public backlash, but I, 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 I would just view this as three people don't want him there. One does. We, we can leave it at that. Okay, so that's the new standard for credentialing. We'll, we'll have votes, and if more people than I don't want you there, you don't get credentialed. I applaud the brothers for protecting their sister. I'm, I'm assuming something went on with the sister. I have no problem. For, I, I applaud them 100% for standing up for their sister. They don't want the guy around their sister. That's great. That's fine. Their sister isn't at these meets. They're adults. They could be credentialed. He could be there and life could carry on. I, I don't know. I think honestly, I think that's how it should happen. It very well could. Have. And I said, the, the thing to me is that the personality traits of these people are all the same. Like I'm stunned that he's digging in. I'm like, eventually I, I saw this coming. I'm like, okay, they're going to eventually get out. They're eventually going to be pushed to the brink to say what happened. Because originally, remember originally they came up with a lie that his health wasn't good. And now we've finally gotten this out. But they're doing the same thing. They're like, okay, no, we're not backing down. We're going to tell them, Dad. They haven't quite told us all exactly what happened, but but they're hinting at it. So, All right, shall we talk about actual running results over the weekend, Valencia Half Marathon, super fast times? Yes, we should, John. So Valencia, we, it calls itself the city of running for good reason because it brings in top talent and it puts on fast races. It's still weird for me to see a 57 for a men's half marathon time, but that's what happens when you get guys like Kibawak Kandier, Yomif Kajelcha, Hagos Gebrowet, Salomon Borrego running this. And the women's side, the winning time very fast as well. Margaret Kip Kemboy, 64-46. She beats out Irene Cheptai, 64-53. Great racing all around, but the, the men's one is the one I want to talk about because, one, the finish was... Awesome. Top three rules separated by a second. Condier, the former world record holder, gets the win. 57-40. Kajelcha second, 57-41, just ahead of Gebrowet, 57-41. So he turns the tables after getting beaten at the World Road Running Championships in the 5K. And then fourth place, Selimon Bereka, the Olympic 10K champion, runs 57-50. Which puts him number six all time, but he was only fourth in this race. We've only had two races in history with four guys under 58 minutes. Valencia 2020 and Valencia 2023. I mean, this is how good the field was, guys. Barrega finished fourth. He beat fifth place by 39 seconds. Did you guys see who was in fifth? I must have because I posted the top 15 in my week that was, but I don't must remember. Was a guy- oh, wait, the world champion? 
yeah, the guy who just won the World Half Marathon Championships three weeks ago runs 58-29 and finishes fifth in this race. I mean, it was just stupidly loaded. It was awesome action. I mean, big win for Condier, Uh because he's up against the track guys, and you'd think in a kind of a, a close finish, you would pick someone like Kajelcha or Gebrewet. I would, I think I would have gone with Gebrewet, considering how he won in the World Road Running Champs a couple weeks ago. But no, it's Condier who gets the victory, 57-40. And it made me think this. Robert, you pointed out Condier is one of the only guys in the sub-60 club in Valencia who... So, sorry, 15 guys broke 60 in this race. Only two of them have run marathons in the past. Condier is one of them. I don't remember who the other one was. And it got me to thinking, like, all right, we're going to see some fast times in the upcoming years if and when these guys start moving to the marathon. Because I think it just... Are you guys with me that guys like Borrega, Kajelcha, Gebrewet, they can make the jump and run fast marathons. We've seen something similar on the women's side where 5K, 10K types are making the the jump up fairly, pretty easily, I would say, for a lot of them these days. Do you guys see the same thing? Do you think we could be seeing 201s from them in the not-too-distant future? Possibly. I'm very excited about, obviously, Chapter Guy in Valencia, the full marathon, a couple of weeks. Complain well, to me is the one I really want to see, but but th- that was one of the reasons why I mentioned like most of these top finishers. It was one of the top thirteen in the men and one of the top. Um, five for the women have ever run a marathon, so I was like, wow, there's a lot of talent still to move to the marathon. But that being said, Kibo Candy has run two marathons. Right, but his first. All right, this first one was. August 2019 in some place called Kuching and he ran 2.22 like was that a serious effort he also wasn't the guy he is right now and then his other one was New York which is a tough course to debut and he debuted in 2021 runs 2.13 for 9th so to me I kind of give him a little bit of a pass debuting in New York what's fascinating is Robert he's scheduled to run a marathon this fall Candier. he's facing Cheptegei in Valencia the first weekend of December. That is going to be a heck of a showdown. The former world champion in the, sorry, former world record holder in the half marathon just ran 57.40 against Cheptegei in his marathon debut. I mean, set those alarm clocks for Valencia, baby. Wow. I didn't know that. I was kind of thinking for some reason he's going to New York, but maybe a fast, this guy's so fast at the half, he should be in the fast courses. Why is he running these New York type courses? before I was kind of wondering like is he going to be the Zerosinatidese of the modern era great at the half marathon and not good at the full marathon but yeah I do think you're seeing so many runners just be able to move up I mean again supporters club member Ross McGowan was telling me he's like the marathon's just not quite the same as it used to be it's like people hitting the wall whether it's the training or the shoes or whatever most people seem to move up pretty well one reason why I had that set in there also though was I guess like nowadays is it when people are running well, I guess he's running a marathon though. But when they move to the marathon, they just they they give up on the half marathon in other races. They just focus all in on the marathon pretty much. Whereas the track guys now are moving off to the marathon and obviously he's a little bit. But another point I had was we all I think we all predicted at the beginning of the year 
that the U.S. half marathon record would fall in 2023, and it looks like it's not. Why can every African pro find time to run a half marathon, but none of the U.S. pros can find time? I guess their endorsement deals are so much higher. We're paying these mediocre Americans to sit on their couch and record podcasts when these Africans aren't making very much money and they need to race me for five thousand dollars. But every time I every time I go every time I go through race results weekly and see some mediocre men's marathon being won in two seventeen for like five grand, I'm like, why doesn't the guy just come over here and run that instead of going to Valencia half? Well, but I had the same reaction because I was looking at this. I'm like. If there are probably five Americans you throw into this race, they could run faster than Ryan Hall's American record of fifty nine forty three. Like Grant Fisher, Connor Mance, um, Klecker and Kincaid, maybe you throw one of them in there. McGordy, could he do it? I wouldn't be shocked. Like you know, put any of those guys in this race, perfect conditions, the super shoes. I think they probably could do it. But I'm like, oh, the timing really stinks for them though, because. You know, the track season ends middle of September and then they're on their break and then they're just coming back. But then I'm like, wait a minute. Kajelcha, Gebrowet, Borrega, they're all running track seasons. Then Kajelcha and Gebrowet go to the World Road Running Championships and then they don't take a break after that. Then they go to Valencia and run this as well. So I'm like, is that really that much of an excuse? But I don't know if the half marathon record moves the needle enough for these guys who have been grinding on the track. Like for Americans... I don't think the extra month and a half of training doesn't seem to be the trade-off that they want to make. That they, you know, to stick it out and go to Valencia and run it, it doesn't just doesn't seem to be a motivator for them. Should give a shout out to Abayisa Simbasa of America. Not sure what group he's in, but he ran this race sixty forty two. Also around world half. He was 61-28. He was 25th at world half, 19th in this race. He's got an outside shot at the Olympics. He's run 210 in the marathon. Lauren Paquette led the U.S. women in 69-41. Lauren Hagens now. She's going by Hagens. Um, I, do you guys agree with me, though? Like, Weldon, do you think... Because I what really spurred me to think about this in terms of Americans just going over and, you know, we've got five or six guys who can maybe break no. the American record. Robert, let me finish and make my point. Did you see the times by Carlos Mayo and Samuel Barada, Spain and Portugal? I know you did because you included it in the week that was. They set the national records uh, in the half marathon, 59-40, 59-41. Carlos Mayo, his personal – or sorry – let me make sure I got those times correct. Yeah, 59.39 for Carlos Mayo, 59.40 for Samuel Barada. Here are their track PBs. Carlos Mayo, 13.18, 27.25. Samuel Barada, Portugal, 13.31, 27.45. I'll throw in one more for you. Right behind them, Pietro Riva of Italy. He ran 59.41. It's not a national record, but it's faster than the American record. His track PBs, 13.22, 27.50. Robert, you can't seriously make the argument that all of these guys just happen to be superior half marathon talents, and that's why they're running these times. There are a bunch of Americans who have track PBs right in line with them that if you throw them in, and when they're very fit in perfect conditions in Valencia, they'd be able to run sub 59.43 as well in the super shoes. Do you disagree? Let me just start listing names that can definitely do it. Fisher, easily. That's the one I'm most confident in. I bet Klecker could do it. 
can't tell me you can't tell me Klecker can't just grind out along at sub sixty pace. Guy's strong as an ox. I bet he'd be able what to pace do it. Is, what pace is sixty flat for a half marathon for ten thousand? It's twenty eight twenty six pace. He might be able to do it. McGordy might be able to do it. I think Chalimo could do it. Yeah, um, that's another one. Chalimo. Well, I mean, I guess Chalimo did try for it in Berlin earlier this year. He's supposed to be in shape, and he wasn't close. Maybe Mance. I don't think it's a huge number. But no, I, I think it's five or six. Well, then what do you think? Yeah. I, I just think 2007, when Ryan Hall ran that time, it was amazing. And it showed how much of a talent Ryan Hall was. But we're in a different stratosphere now with the shoes. I just struggle to believe that Ryan Hall in 2007 was like a minute and a half better in the half marathon than America's best talents at the moment. Agreed. I don't know if it's five or six, but three or four. It should be five or six. The shoes have changed the game. I'm like you, John. After I go, I'm like, wait, what's the world record? I think it's 57, 32. 31. 31. It's just like, wait. And Valencia is crazy fast. You're talking about, you know, much watched TV. This half, which is a little later in the day. Now, eight of the top 10 times all time are in Valencia. Four this year and four from, I think, 2021. I mean, that's crazy. 2020, yeah. And the top three were all in Adidas. I was about to go with the shoe. Maybe they're in that new shoe. You know, Adidas names its shoes pretty crazily. So, the $500 shoe. But I noticed them sprinting in. They all appeared to be wearing three different, three different shoes. They were at least three different colors. So, shoe geeks, tell us what shoes they were wearing. And Kajelch is now Adidas. You guys know that? I guess he's been Adidas all year, but. Yeah, he switched a, a year or two ago, right? So, who's coaching him? Is our. I'm actually not sure. But one thing that was wild about this race was imagine if you're Selman Barrega, you beat the Ethiopian. We're talking Ethiopia, national record by 42 seconds. It was only 58-32. There was no Ethiopian in the top 12 all time. There's just a lot more Kenyans on the roads than there are Ethiopians, Maybe, but although maybe at the top it's somewhat similar. Well, I view that as evidence for why the American record could go down because you weren't seeing the top Ethiopians really taking a crack in great conditions. And now you got three of their biggest talents, Gebrewet, Kajelcha, and uh, Borrega, all going to Valencia. They're all in good shape, and they utterly crushed the previous national record, which was held by Kajelcha. The more I think about it, I wish Clucker had skipped the track season, had run this race, and just had run like, yeah, if he was all in, I think he would get it. And just says, you know what, guys? I'll see you on the start line February 3rd in Orlando. Stop wasting his time on the track. Trap people, trap people sorry, the marathoners would be scared if that happened, Robert. Like, if, you, if Klecker went to Valencia and ran like 59.35 or something, and then said, hey, I'm debuting at the trials. I mean, there'd be a lot of marathons to be like, I don't, I don't want that. Speaking of the marathon trials, though, the road to Paris is now live. We've been asking for it for months. It's on the World Athletics website. You can check it out. And the thing I, I think, I assume all of us, well, I know Robert's checked it out, we scroll down, where does Scott Farble rank? Because he is the third American 
the top 64 as of January 30th, 2024, will get invites. He's 61st right now. So be like, oh man, he, there's only a few more people who could pass, who have to pass him. The thing is, the more I look at it, the more I'm feeling pretty good about America's chances of Fauble holding up in 61. Because for someone to pass him, you need someone from a country who is already doesn't have three people ranked ahead of the U.S. to run either the standard or to run a marathon that would push their ranking ahead. And if you're looking at the people directly below him who could use a rankings boost, it's all countries who already have three people. Japan, Kenya, USA, Japan, Kenya, Morocco, Ethiopia. You know, it's going to be tough for that to happen. And points-wise, Fobble's at... 1179 if you scroll down to 65th it's that's 1153 26 points that is actually quite a lot i think robert you said it's maybe a minute and 20 seconds or something do you remember the exact number but i think it is going to be tough for fable to get knocked out i mean maybe you have a few people taking a run at it in valencia but I, i think the u.s has to be feeling pretty good at this point what about somebody who's only won one race? They don't show up in the rankings now. So if a bunch of people have one race from these other countries. There, there could be, but there are two things working against them. Is One, there aren't that many marathons left between now and January 30th. And two, they would have to be... I, I don't know. I mean, maybe there are people like this who are from countries that don't have anyone above the US right now or don't have three above the US that I haven't considered. But... I think most of the best runners, someone who would knock them out or finish higher than Fable or get you know get him bumped down, are from countries who already have three people, right, Robert? Yeah, but the the ranking times one's equivalent. His is equivalent to two eight fifty four. The guy behind him is equivalent to two ten twenty seven. So it's a minute thirty three. My, my only fear, he's going to stay in the top sixty five in terms of the rankings. I would think my, my fear would be the five people from random countries hit two hundred eight ten. So I, I, we'd have to do a list of who doesn't have, you know, if one. I'm just trying random countries here. Well, so one guy who could knock him out, the guy in sixty fifth right now. So the top sixty four get invited. Sixty five does not, as of January thirtieth, is Paula Roberto Paula of Brazil. His two rankings are from last fall and this winter. So if he runs a full marathon, you know, if he's running Valencia or something, I don't know what his plans are. But if he runs a full marathon, he could not follow back. But only one spot. You'd need to have four people knock him back. You know, I, I should probably come up with a list of which countries already have three. So then it doesn't matter if someone hits two, eight, ten. But like France has three. Brazil only has two. As you just mentioned, like, but like, does I mean, could there be one random guy? You know, I'm assuming a lot of Europeans are going to try to go to Valencia. Could there be? Yeah, I'm, here are some know, of the this, countries. I'm just looking the countries direct out, outside the top 64. Brazil is 65th. Netherlands is 66th. Portugal, Samuel Barada, who just ran his big half marathon, 67th. Great Britain has is 68 and 69. Do you know who's 69th in this list? <laughs> Mo Farah. So he's retired. He's not going to be moving up. Norway. Sandre Moen of Norway is 70th. So these are some of the countries. Australia, 71st. Mongolia, 72nd. Bahrain, 73rd. 
This half marathon doesn't get the guy on the list? The half marathon would count as a good performance, but you can only have one half marathon. I think that I don't think that maybe they haven't uploaded updated it as of today, but he's already got a sixty one twenty nine at the World Road Running Championships. So this half marathon he just ran will bump his ranking. Will it do enough to bu- beat Fable? I haven't done the math on that yet. We'll have to check back later on Tuesday, you know, later Tuesday night when the rankings get updated. And are they taking eighty to the Olympics? So doesn't really do you have really sixty five really the cutoff for the US? Are we really good to go? There's just a little confusion because the trials are on February 3rd, so I don't know how it's going to be. I assume if we end up sending three, they'll just take the third placer from the trials if we get the invite at the end of April when the regular qualification period ends. But the reason why they want it for sure is they can just say neatly 100% on January 30th. We know these three spots are locked in. They can run the trials with that knowledge. But on... At the end of April, whenever the date is, if the U.S. has three in the top 80, three U.S. Olympians will go? Basically, the top eight, well, what they do is they will hand out the first 64 slots, and then there'll basically be a new list with you know, either new qualifiers, with all comprised of countries that don't already have three, basically. And that they'll use the same criteria. So it's essentially going to be the top 80, but... Yeah. Or is the marathon one of those races where, you know, they bring in the guy from Solomon Islands? Is that part of the U.S. or something? But some random I don't island think and they you, let him run a three-hour marathon and they get to go to the Olympics. I don't think they let those universality places in the marathon. Or if they do, it's a bad idea. How many points does Fobble have, John? Uh, his current score is 1179. Well, Carlos Mayo for his 5939. We'll get 1,200 more ranking points. Add that to his current 11.57 from a 2.10 marathon in Hamburg. He will have 1,178.5 points. Assuming he gets no bonus points. I don't think you get bonus points for But Spain already has yards. three people ahead of the U.S. His Carlos Mayo oh, is okay. irrelevant. Oh, well. well. Yeah, note to future selves doing podcasts where we try to calculate people's world athletics points for the road to Paris in real time, not the most compelling content. You're probably right because I, Google Analytics, they tell you like how many people read each article and I've never really bothered that, but the news interface they have is terrible. I can't even tell. I figured a lot of people would like read Road to Paris and I think like I was trying to get on there. It's hard to figure out. I think no one read it. Like we're the only people that are into that. The I thought it would be a big deal, but it's – it's like making people do homework. Like, oh, you want to be a fan of track and figure out who's going to the Olympics? Here. Do all these remember all those stuff you learned in math class? Hope you retain that. But there's still like, people on the message board like, why are we even having a trials? Aren't these three automatically going? I'm like, no, that's not the way it works. Yes, that's why we're here to pull cold water on everyone. Okay. I guess the final thing before we get to our new wags of Let's Run feature to end the show. NCAA cross-country conference action this weekend. We're not going to go into it in great depth. We will probably talk about it more on the Friday 15. But a couple things. One, the conference near near and dear to our hearts, Heps at Franklin Park. First time ever on the men's side. I think the women had it there in the 80s once. It's going to be 79 degrees 
I can't believe this. Not only is it not at the historic Van Cortlandt Park or the less historic Princeton, but the course that has hosted every other HEPs in the last decade, it's at Franklin Park, my backyard, and it, it, we've got a unseasonably warm Saturday afternoon. It's going to be nuts. Harvard is favored to win their first men's title in 51 years. I don't know if there's anything else more to say on it, but it's just kind of, it's striking to me. Heps is going to be in Boston in 79 degree weather. It doesn't feel like Heps at all. When I ran it, it was cold and crisp in Van Cortlandt Park, or it was snowy in the, st- the storm of the century in Princeton. It's disgraceful, John. It should always be at Van Cortlandt. Not only that, tradition's being broken by, this is the first time the race will be broadcast on television. ESPN Plus, and to add insult to injury, I'm not on the broadcast. And to add insult to injury, there was a guy calling around last week who we know who helps with marathon broadcasts and whatnot, and he calls Let's Run. He's like, hey, do you guys know anyone who could do the broadcast? They need a broadcaster. I'm like, um, yeah, I, I do. I used to do the broadcast. So not sure if I... The Harvard people don't like Rojo or, you know, it's only understandable. My dad had to go to Yale. My brother went to Yale. Yeah, but you've got connection, Ivy League connections out the wazoo. I mean, you coached a, half the league. You're in bed with half the league. You coached at Cornell. Your dad and your yeah, brother went to don't Yale. Talk about me. You went to Princeton. You know, it, there's no one more suited to, to call this race. And you've done a good job in the past. So maybe the people in charge of making the decision just haven't reviewed your earlier work. You and Bill Spaulding, what a tandem. Thank you. I don't think they care about the bark. I think that these people they, they're used to, or maybe the other coaches don't like me. But John, please don't talk. My son and my daughter, my wife and my son might be listening to this. Don't talk about who I've been in bed with. Oh, I guess I should also say you sleep with the Cornell law grad, right, Robert? John, just shows and- how perilous life is. Robert and Bill Spaulding were doing Ivy League track broadcast together. Now, Bill Spaulding, the voice of the New Jersey Devils. Rojo can't even get on a college cross-country broadcast. Just They were partners just maybe two years ago. It's wife just with a blink. One swing of the bat. That's fine. One swing of the bat. Your wife can change overnight. Walden's trying to make me feel bad about – I get to talk about track every day. He has to talk about hockey. I've only been to one hockey game in my life, so why would I want to be a hockey broadcaster? And John, I'm excited because that means it's going to be warm in Connecticut this weekend. Actually, we're only seeing this high of 76 on Saturday, but we had, I think, seven weeks of rain in a row on the weekend still this past weekend. So a little bit warm. Looks like it's going to be cooling the week after that for the New York City Marathon. That's good. Maybe we'll finally see the women's course record go down. I don't understand. That's crazy that that record hasn't fallen with all the talent to come through, and we've got a stacked women's field. So, yeah, next week, New York City Marathon Week. That'll be fun. Very much looking forward to that. And the other big question this weekend, I guess, for NCAA Cross is, we talked about him at the top of the show, does Jerry pull the red shirts? They decided to sit out pre-Nats, Wisconsin weekend. Simeon Birnbaum, Connor Burns, Archie Noakes, their fantastic three freshman phenoms. Haven't run officially, but the Pac-12 championships are this weekend. It's a down year in the Pac-12. Colorado's decent, but 
Stanford, Washington didn't run great at Wisconsin. Could Jerry Schumacher open up his guys and, and maybe win the conference? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to be fascinated to see what he decides to do there. We've also got a big showdown, Big 12s. Remember, BYU's in the Big 12 now. So we get BYU against Oklahoma State. So that should be – that's probably the race of the weekend on the men's side. We might have to do the Friday 15 live. Looks like the Pac-10 meets like at 1 o'clock right after record. Well, why don't we do it – why don't we record right after the race? That's what I said. Oh, okay. Sounds like a good idea to me. All right, guys, I think that's going to do it. Uh, apart from our bonus segment here at the end, but Weldon, congratulations to you and your Rangers on the World Series. I'm rooting for you guys, whoever you face, uh, the Phillies and Diamondbacks. I, you know, Winning a World Series as a baseball fan, it's a really fun, cool experience, and I, I hope you get to feel it sometime in the next two weeks. I don't want to jinx this thing, John, but I want the Phillies. Happy birthday. To our Let's Run composer, Andrew Brick Johnson. Enjoy the talk with his wife, Katie, up next. And remember, if you need a better running shoe, check out our better running shoe site, betterrunningshoes.com or let'srun.com slash shoes. It's the way to find a better running shoe. All right, here's Katie. We're trying a new segment here. I'm going to call it Spouses of the Fast and Famous. We really need some music for this segment. I'll get to that in a minute. But we received an email from Mrs. Kate Codette. Hope I said that right. She writes, my husband, Andrew Johnson, is the guy who wrote the music for the podcast. He turns 40 next month on October 24th. Well, he's not really a birthday nor attention guy. I feel this is a big one that's worth celebrating. So I have two requests. The top two, sh- two shirts he wears are the goat, the red goat, and yellow Let's Run t-shirts. So they are looking worn, especially the yellow one around the pits. I was wondering if you could send him new shirts so he looks a little fresher and or give him a birthday shout out on an episode that'll air later in October. We're doing better. We're bringing his wife onto the podcast. Kate, welcome to the show. Thanks for sharing that with everyone. I hope it wasn't too much. This is amazing, Kate, but I think you're going to make a lot of spouses feel bad. And a lot of people who are going through a rough patch in their marriage right now are like, wow, my spouse isn't that thoughtful. (laughs) I mean, I just aired a lot of dirty laundry there. (laughs) Literally dirty laundry. I love you, Andy. <laughs> Does he know you're coming on the show? This is what I, or is this just going to be a surprise when he listens and he hears your voice on the podcast? This is a total surprise. He's working downstairs and I'm hidden away in a back bathroom. So hopefully he can't hear what's going on. Oh, awesome. I love it. Yeah. An audio guy. He might be able to hear you somehow. But yeah, so... Clearly, you know, Andrew's into this podcast. Have you heard the podcast? Are you a runner? Like, what's your connection? I do listen to the podcast, not as religiously as he does. He listens to it every week, and he has his runner friends from high school, college. Um, I listen to them more when he recommends them to me as something would be interesting to me. So 
the Camille, Camille with the ultra running or Des is on, or I just listen to the Chicago one. Um, but I think it's great. So we need a more female guest is what you're saying? Ultra runners? Uh, ultra I love, but yeah, I mean the female marathoners, Des, even Kara, Molly, like get the women marathoners on. I love them. Okay, we got we got to honor that request. <laughs> and your husband, you know, he's written like he works in Hans Zimmer's studio. I'm, I've learned even more stuff today about him. He's written music for Glee, American Horror Story, Royal Pain, Major Crimes. Yet he writes us free music. What do you think about that? I mean, I mean, he loves you. I mean, we love it. The coolest thing about his music is a, it's really exciting. But b, uh, whenever you know, there is a big race. Basically, we know that runners listen to your podcast. And so he thinks it's very cool that runners that he looks up to have heard his music. So it's always about like getting the fewest degrees of separation from all those people. And so a lot of people that he respects has heard his music because of your podcast. Well, that's cool. Because his intro music it makes the podcast so much better. I mean, it really does. Robert was just saying that off air. It's it's amazing. Thank you, Andrew. Happy birthday. But we got one more thing we got to address here. When you sent the email, Kate, I started Googling around. And I found this thing. This is from CBSLA.com. LAPD officers save marriage proposal after recovering stolen ring. It says... West Los Angeles patrol officers received a call around 7:10 p.m. on Sunday about two aspects that were suspects that were breaking into vehicles in the 1700 block in LA of Corinth Avenue. When they arrived on the scene, they arrested two suspects after a brief foot pursuit. They eventually find a ring on these two guys. Turns out Andrew was about to pop the question, and he admits to leaving the ring in the car in LA unlocked. And somehow they catch these guys breaking into another car and get the ring back. And then he had to like sweet talk because he needed the ring that evening. And usually they keep it for evidence and things went without a hitch. He gives you the ring. And where did you actually find out it was stolen? But this is a great story. Andy just has really good karma. He deserves to get that ring back. So it all happened really within an hour. We had some friends over for dinner. He was acting really agitated there were helicopters all around our apartment we go downstairs there's like lipsticks purses wallets everywhere in the parking lot downstairs and then he goes up to the police officer to tell them he's like yeah my car was broken into and they're like yeah everyone's was and he's trying to like get me away and i'm like no worries and he doesn't leave anything in his car he's like yeah can you just go back upstairs <laughs> he's like there was something in the car and so they explain it's probably they're probably not going to get it back at all. They ultimately do get it. And then because Andy had written a letter of commendation for a police officer about a year ago for getting pulled over for something, he just wrote saying the guy was really nice and professional. They had that on records. So they were like, oh, are you this Andrew Johnson who did this? And so his good karma came around. They're like, all right, here's the ring. You might have to bring it back, but you should be all fit. So within like an hour of it being stolen, these guys like running away, getting tackled, like get and getting the ring back. He was able to come up and propose. And yeah, he loves the story. I swear he, he swears he didn't plan it, but I know him. I don't know. <laughs> and ahead of time, 
that was the night he was planning on proposing? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So he's a smart guy. I mean, I just got to say this. He's not the kind of guy to leave, you know, a thousands of dollar ring in his car. But he was just getting really nervous, I guess, um, and thought that I kept almost finding it. It's a, it's a nerve wracking day once you got the ring. Yeah. I mean, guys don't, maybe guys don't think, think straight normally, but when you got the ring, I'm glad I got it back. Good karma, as you said. And in the email right here, this is from a month ago. Andy's the best. I did think. I think we all can agree to that. Yeah. But I'm confused at how you think this could possibly have been planned. You're into the conspiracy theories like I am. How could he plan it? Do you think he hired the criminals to take it out of the car and be tackled and arrested? Like it seems possible. It's LA. You can hire anyone to do anything. <laughs> That's true. Cool story. Now, now I'm going to love the music even more because we've got, I'm now I've got his personality, your personality. I feel tied up to your marriage for some reason, even though I guess him writing the music has nothing to do with the theme song. I mean, with your marriage, but anyway, good to meet a friend of let's run. Thank you. It's so fun seeing the faces of the voices I know. So keep up the good work. Now, Kate, as a woman, you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but... I get worried when Robert starts a sentence that way, that way, I just want to say. So be on your best behavior, Robert. When we've been doing live shows on YouTube and Twitter and whatnot, there's one fan or listener, Lisa, and she's always talking, wow, Robert, you are so attractive. And she never says anything about Weldon. I just, do you agree? Like, it's, there's a big difference. We're supposed to be identical. I didn't realize I was that much, obviously, more good looking. There's no obvious troll between the two of you. Equal, equal 10 out of 10 across the board. Equally, equally stunning. We're the two best looking men since, except for Andrew and Planet Earth. Thank you very much. Andrew and us, Robert, we share something common right right now. We're all nearly 40. We're 40s. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that was your big birthday this summer, right? Your 40th birthday on July 24th, Founders Day. (laughs) I'm glad you're celebrating the 40th because I can just tell you it's the last one you want to celebrate. Oh, no. It's the new 30. Yeah, but the next one you start to think about the end. (laughs) (laughs) The back nine. Here you're, you know, you're you're on hole number seven. You're having the round of your life, and and you're feeling pretty good about to hit the clubhouse. Well, I'm glad I decided to do this one and not wait until fifty. Then, just for the downer vibes. Yeah, Robert, you're killing killing the vibe. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, tell Andrew we love his work. And hey, any other spouses want to come on for a new segment? We're soon going to have great music for it, I assume, too, right? You better get out of the bathroom quickly before he comes in there and finds you. we got to keep this quiet. Now, you have to keep this quiet for a full week. I do. We're going to mail out the T-shirts. Should we wait so they don't arrive before the 24th? He always ignores doorbells, so go ahead. I, I am the mail person, so, so I got it. Okay. It'll be out with his birthday card spread when he wakes up on his birthday. Be a great surprise. Okay. We'll send him out today. Robert, that's your responsibility. All right. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for helping me celebrate Andy. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thank you. You want a better running shoe? 
you got to check out the Let's Run.com Better Running Shoe site, where we combine data science and running shoe reviews from the most dedicated runners on the planet. That's you. Let's Run Visitor Schly is 14. He actually checked out the number one rated shoe on here. The ASICS Super Blast. ASICS is paying us nothing for this. But Schleis14, trusted reviews, bought the shoe, and here's what he says. This is probably the best overall daily trainer I've ever run in. I typically don't run in ASICS, but giving the outstanding reviews and LRC better shoes, I decided to give them a try. They are worth every penny and effortlessly take 15 seconds off each mile. He continues on. The last shoe I felt this strongly about and coincidentally selected because of overwhelmingly positive reviews on the old LRC shoe review site was the Adidas Boston 8. While a completely different type of shoe, it brings back the same joy and effortless propulsion I fondly recall from that old Boston. Good job, Asics. Good job, LRC Better Shoes. So find a better shoe. The number one shoe may not be for you, but you can find the most durable shoe, the most comfortable shoe. You can see how your shoe compares to other shoes. Let's run.com slash shoes or betterrunningshoes.com.